and welcome to the Bodybuilding Dietitians Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today for what is now episode 118. And as always, you are joined by your hosts, Tiara and Jack. Now, before we get into today's episode, we just want to remind you as always that if you do enjoy these podcasts, please feel free to tell your family and friends about them, take a screenshot and post it to your social media stories. Tag Jack, tag myself, and tag the Bodybuilding Dietitian. So after a little bit of a Q&A hiatus, but not a podcast hiatus, we are back. Episode 118. Let's kick it off, Jack. This very first question, it says, what are some of your biggest gym fails? <laughs> Something embarrassing to start, but <laughs> I've been looking forward to getting back into these Q&As because they were one of the highlights of my week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they are really fun, and I feel like we always have a fun conversation when we do these. Yeah, for sure. So I think we've all been there having made gym fails, especially in the beginning of our training career, and just not really knowing 100% what's right and mm-hmm. what's wrong. And it's not even necessarily if something's wrong, it's just you might be doing something that's not particularly conducive towards the end goal. <laughs> and yeah, I've... I've done a few things, just like a few general things, which aren't that cringy. They're just very honest mistakes, like training with excessive amounts of volume. And uh, like I used to do four to five sets for everything and go like six days in a row of training and wondering why I was getting injured. Uh, But things that uh, make me cringe a little bit more now is like I used to do these rack pull RDL things on the cable machine where I would set the cable uh, machine down to the lowest setting and and put as much weight on as I could and then basically do these like uh, RDLs. I don't even know what I was doing. I was just moving. It was kind of like an RDL slash rack pull on the cable machine. I'm sure it was with good intention to grow something. Mm. And that's the thing. Everyone does these movements, not so that people point at them and go, lol, fail. (laughs) We're all in the gym trying to grow. But what were you trying to target with that? (laughs) I was, I was just like, yeah, I got a good lower back pump from doing this. So I'll, I'll keep it up. And it used to be something that I always finished my workout on. So that, yeah, finishing with the lower back dominant stuff. So was it kind of similar to, you know, how you see a lot of girls on Instagram doing those like cable squats? Was it kind of similar to that? Yeah, I would say the RDL equivalent. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Man, if, if there's if there's just something about the cable machine. Like, I understand that sometimes people get bored in the gym, you know, and want more variety, but it always seems like it's the cable machine that people start mm. doing some real funky stuff. The cable machine and the Smith machine. That's that's probably where the, the hate for the Smith machine originated. Maybe. Oh, it's like, leave the Smith alone. Actually, in saying that, you've done some funky things on the Smith machine. <laughs> I have done some very funky things on the Smith machine, indeed. I used to set myself up at UQ Sport and do those Smith machine kickbacks. Yep. So you actually go down on all fours and then you have to put one of your feet on the bar and then kick back. I I think obviously I saw someone do it on the internet and I'm like, oh, this looks like fun. This looks like it would turn my pancake butt into this Brazilian girl's (laughs) booty butt because she's doing it. You know, some 19 year old girl who was easily influenced. (laughs) Mm. Yeah, we've, as I said, we've all been there. And I think something else that I used to do, which wasn't anything in isolation, but I used to chuck my shoulder day and a leg day together Mm -hmm. and like that's not the end of the world, but just 
looking back, I'm just like surprised that I made any progress with either of those days because I used to do like a, a barbell back squat and then I would do a overhead press afterwards. And for someone like you, like that, that's entirely possible. I was going to say, you're sitting across from someone right now who trains full body five days a week. Yeah, I know. And <laughs> But but for me now, like me trying to do that would, would not happen. It wouldn't work. Like I'm sure I could do it. It just wouldn't be very fruitful. Yeah. Perhaps now doing your leg days and maybe throwing in some lateral raises at the end, but maybe mm. not a huge compound like a barbell OHP. Yeah. And and like I, it was it wasn't it was like my same leg workout now, but, but probably even more. And then I would put a whole shoulder workout in there as well. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's. Uh, it was a it was a long session, that's for sure. Would you question your intensity there? Mm. Because you're like, well, if I'm doing a leg workout, but I still have the energy and the drive left over to train shoulders too, would you question back now? Were you training legs hard enough? Uh, I think I trained hard, but I could have trained harder if if I hadn't put the shoulders there. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, and I think then. Because I wasn't as strong as I was now, like it wasn't quite as fatiguing compared to squatting like three, like I haven't squatted in a bit because of prep, but yeah, potentially squatting a lot more now. Yeah. I think that's a huge thing is just performing way too much volume Mm. in the gym. And of course, when you first get started and going to the gym is super exciting and you freaking love it and you show up and you just want to do everything and you want to do five sets of every single machine in the gym. But obviously, you cannot sustain that for long. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I haven't... There, there aren't any, like, cringy, sad gym fails that I've done, uh, fortunately. Um, I'm glad I'm in that boat. But the only other thing I can think of is when, in my first one or two years of gym, when I was still in high school and everyone was... There used to be this crew of guys who would just go to the gym for a couple months before the like the I think they called it like the strati trip or something where you Mm. go to strati in high school for the international listeners strati is like a an island just off the coast of Australia where Mm. a lot of people go to to holiday and they would just go to the gym for a couple months before that and um and try and change their bodies naively thinking that they could do it become bodybuilders in two months or (laughs) fitness models and (laughs) I, I, I used to train forearms and calves a lot then just because like I would chuck them in at the end of the session and then um, everyone caught on to it and then you just see the whole gym doing these like forearm dumbbell bicep curls <laughs> and stuff like that. <laughs> and I mean, if someone took a video, it just would have been so funny because these guys were just lining up at the dumbbell rack, like doing forearm curls and yeah. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but every single time I'm in the gym and I'm trying to take a lifting video, there's always some dude in the back doing some really weird things with these tiny dumbbells with his forearms. And like, I want to be considerate. So I try to crop them out, but sometimes if they don't get out of the frame, I'm just like, God, whatever you chose to do that. Mm. <laughs> but it's, is it just me or do you always catch people doing that in the back of your gym videos? <laughs> yeah, sometimes. Like, I think I'm a bit more lenient than you in terms of, of uh, acknowledging people's, I don't know, pitfalls or something. Like, it's rare that I honestly see gym fails. Like, I see things that I'm like, huh, like, that's probably not the most effective or efficient thing to do, but mm. it's not harmful. And is there something you could be doing more effectively? Yes. Like, the classic one is the glute kickback. Like, 
could you do something more effective like a hip thrust? Yes, mm-hmm. but is it the end of the world? No. Yeah. It I gives f- you a good pump. It feels good. You get a good booty burn. Yeah, I know. You're getting your endorphin rush. You're getting your heart rate up. I think the only time that I notice it is when I want to use a particular machine and I'm waiting for someone else to finish on that machine, but they're not necessarily using the machine for its sole purpose. So Mm. let's say that I'm waiting for a leg press and someone's on the leg press, but they're doing shoulder press with the (laughs) leg press. And I'm just like, hey man, I kind of want to use that for my quads. Or, you know, obviously... Does that mean they would use the shoulder press for legs? I don't know. (laughs) But, like, if you are at a gym that is so well-equipped and they have specific, really top-quality equipment that will target that musculature in the Mm. best, most effective way, gosh darn, man. And if that piece of equipment is free, go over and use that piece of equipment. You don't need to swap it around. Yeah. That's, I think that's the main thing. Even at World's Gym Brisbane, like we have now these two amazing hip thrust machines. They are awesome. And they're actually right next to the lying leg curl machine. Mm. But you still see people on the lying leg curl machine doing <laughs> hip thrusts. And I'm like, dude, three steps back from you, there's a way better machine. <laughs> yeah, that is a good example. Yeah. Because they are literally right next to each other. Yeah, but... and they both got that massive padding. And I think the other thing is just the cable machine obviously Mm. like you know people will do this it just the resistance curve doesn't make any sense but they'll like grab the straight bar they'll do like a cable squat go into a deadlift then they'll do like a row and then an ohp they'll twist themselves around they'll do a tricep overhead extension and then they'll do the whole thing in reverse (laughs) i'm like how is this even written on your program (laughs) how do you track these things it looks like fun but again long term i don't know how much it's actually going to help you grow Hey guys, just a reminder that we offer coaching services, which you can find on our website by searching The Bodybuilding Dietitians on Google or via the show notes below. We coach anyone with a health and fitness related goal. But what about your personal, any other personal fails that you wanted to mention? (laughs) I'm not going to lie, man. I've made a lot of mistakes in the gym, but it's helped me to grow into the woman that I am today, (laughs) but they're pretty hilarious. I probably a lot of my things are definitely ego lifting. I remember before you and I were actually dating and this was first year, you didn't even know who I was, but I was totally checking you out. (laughs) And we were actually next to each other at UQ Sport. And I was trying to impress you by lifting this ridiculously heavy dumbbell. (laughs) Was it a dumbbell row? It was a dumbbell row. And I thought I was so strong because I was like this girl who was just transitioning out of half marathon running. And I was like 56 kilograms with these little stick arms. But hell, I could lift 37.5 kilogram dumbbells with a row. But I had, I did not realize that these were is so far from strict. <laughs> like I was heaving like crazy and I was trying to impress you. <laughs> but you were across the from the gym with Bowen and but you were doing something kind of silly too. You were that guy. I maybe you were about to that train. Guy. <laughs> Well, these guys still exist who do this thing, but you were holding those two 2.5 kilogram plates and you were doing those like (laughs) the rotator cuff exercises. Yeah. yeah. And I had no idea what you were doing. You were obviously so focused on what you were doing that you had no idea what I was doing. But yeah, my thing would definitely come down to ego lifting. Mm. And then when we actually started dating, I remember I got you to video me. Oh, they were messy, man. (laughs) 
but technically I lifted the weight. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it went up and down. You opposed gravity. Oh, gosh. And I used to totally try to ego lift with my back squats as well. But I think a massive gym fail I had with my back squats once was, I think this was like second year uni. I was doing some exercise physiology class. You know how you have to read different literature papers? There was this one paper on this very small sample size of rugby players, and they were trying to test their squat RM. And it said that these rugby players, when they did 10 jump squats before they attempted their squat RM, they were able to pump out more reps. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'll give that a shot. One, I couldn't even squat properly to begin <laughs> with. And then I'm at the gym. I load this thing up with like 65 kilograms on the bar, which was really heavy for me. Again, at this time I weighed probably around 57, 58 kilograms. I did 10 jump squats and then I went straight to the barbell and tried to get like a squat RM with the 65 kilograms. I don't know how myself and my back are still here today. <laughs> <God>. Like <laughs> that That's was a total fail. <laughs> interesting result as well from the study. I know, but that just goes to show like just because something's written in a paper does not mean that you should just go out and just try it yourself. Uh, these things can be very, very dangerous. But yeah, I think I've just done a lot of little silly things in the gym, just like high rep stuff. Again, like it's always just was trying to get my heart rate up years ago, like doing things like grabbing a plate and doing a bunch of jump squats and then supersetting it with a bunch of lateral raises or front raises and all these sort of things. And, uh, yeah, I think it was, it came down for, to you, I think for like training versus exercising. That's the way I see it. Like mm -hmm. you wanted to get in there and, and burn some energy and, and get that endorphin rush, as you said, but you weren't like hyper-focused on the, the bodybuilding, like the, the main goal at the end of the day was to get stronger and build muscle. Yeah, exactly. But heck, you lift and you learn. And I think you have to make these sort of mistakes in order to truly learn and then get to where you are today. Because now I just totally value my training and I totally value my performance and keeping myself safe and not just wasting my time doing silly stuff in the gym. 100%, yeah. <laughs> I think we both, even... Even this improvement season compared to last, we can still think of new ways that we're going to make it more effective, more efficient, gain more muscle, recover better, and it's just a continual process. Yeah. It's when you don't make the if you, it's when you don't kind of make those necessary changes and improve that's when it becomes more questioning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I used to do a lot of silly stuff on like the TRX bands as well, like a lot of TRX rows and TRX lunges. Again, like it's exercising, you're moving your body, you're getting your heart rate up, you're burning some calories, whatever it may be, but it's not training because you just, you can't quantify the progress. Mm. Yeah. And you can't. To an extent. Yeah. Yeah. You can't you really reps, track it. Yeah. Unless you pack on the body weight each week to increase the resistance. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but heck, like, I, I don't know. I think back and I'm like, man, if I didn't waste all those years doing all those silly things in the gym, like, would I have more tissue now? Yeah, maybe, but I wouldn't have as many funny stories to tell either. But I still feel like no matter how much evidence is out there now, everyone has these stories to tell. Everyone's yeah. always on this equal playing field because we all go through those. Unless first... you get a coach from day one, which no one. So like, rare. Very few people do. And <laughs> I have one or two clients who 
are with me from who are quite young and they're with me from the beginning of their journey, mm. which I think is incredible. And I wish I'd done, I was smart enough to do the same thing and get a coach from day one. That yeah. would have, or a good coach, I should say. <laughs> There's some people who, um, the person's, no, I won't say that. But <laughs> we all know someone. Yeah. Yeah. But it is funny because I think 99% of us are on that equal playing field. We've all got a good one to two years under our belt of fluffing around, doing funky stuff in the gym, mm. but we will die with stories to tell. <laughs> cool. So this next question says, is cornmeal a good alternative to wheat? Mm. I'm not going to lie. I've never tried making a protein cake with it, but I'd be a little bit hesitant. Yeah. So I think if this question sounds a bit vague, it is, it's kind of because it is a vague question and Mm -hmm. and that's kind of why we chose it as well, Mm -hmm. because it is something that as dietitians and and coaches, we get asked this a lot, like is X better than Y is, is Y better than X Mm -hmm. is chicken better than fish. Yeah. Why not have both? (laughs) So, and that's, yeah, that leads me on to the next point, which is if there's this, like, we're going to make a disclaimer and say, this is not um, assuming that you genuinely can't eat one of those. Like if you have an intolerance to gluten, then you can't have wheat. Mm -hmm. So um, that's a genuine reason as to why you might need to consider something like cornmeal. But for those people who can have a variety of everything, then saying X or Y is is kind of missing it for the bigger picture and that bigger picture is variety Mm -hmm. yeah so corn's awesome i i remember bill campbell posted this thing once and i think corn is like the highest vegetable in leucine yeah not not vegetable i think highest in general the highest food in leucine yeah per 100 grams i think so like higher than whey and chicken and eggs that's amazing yeah Yeah. but i've always questioned that too because We've all eaten corn before, you know, and it's like, come on, man. Like (laughs) how much of your body is actually digesting that leucine? Is it really getting to the middle? (laughs) Just, well, I guess if it's cornmeal, they do half of the job. They do a lot of the um, digestive process for you. That's true. So you might get more leucine out of your cornmeal, but I don't know about your corn kernels. Yeah. Yeah. I guess to elaborate on this topic a bit more. So I think one, we need to quantify like what criteria the individual is using when asking the question like is cornmeal a good alternative to wheat in mm-hmm. what respect like are you making cream of wheat like <laughs> if you're cream. making cream of wheat then it's probably not going to turn out too well cream of corn i think there's cream corn <laughs> there is yeah uh do you mean in terms of texture in terms of flavor which mm-hmm. is very subjective do you mean in terms of the nutrient profile because i mean we've just said that it's higher in leucine than wheat but Mm -hmm. maybe it's not as high in some of the b vitamins Mm -hmm. so maybe it's not your cup of tea suddenly Uh, so it's important to break down what you're looking for when you're comparing certain foods because some people might be like hmm should i do you think i should have apples for breakfast or should i have oranges for breakfast Mm. and i'm like they're both fruit they're both very healthy they're both nutritious like, do you prefer the taste of one? Mm-hmm. Like, do you, do you like to peel your fruit? <laughs> also, which one's on sale at Sam Coco's? <laughs> yeah. So the, the key here is just coming down to having a variety of foods, which we actually did an Instagram post on TBD on this um, the other day as well. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You know, mm. like it doesn't need to be this or that. It can definitely be both. But obviously, if there's a really good justification for why you can only have one and you can't have the other. For example, we know that wheat does have gluten in it, which is a type of protein, 
But people with celiac disease, they can't have gluten. But corn is gluten-free. So perhaps, yes, you could have corn instead of wheat. But the thing with wheat is that with the gluten in there, and gluten's not just in wheat. Gluten is in things like barley and oats as well. But the protein gluten, it's what makes bread bread. You know, it's what gives it that viscosity and that rise and that fluffiness. When you take that away... Yeah. It's not bread. No. And even if you try to make cornbread, look up any cornbread recipe, okay? A cornbread recipe is still going to add self-raising flour because, yeah, that's what really helps it give it that texture. But if you can't... Unless it's gluten-free cornbread. Yeah. And you might be using like some buckwheat flour or something. But then you wouldn't have the gluten in there. Mm. And again, it's not going to rise quite as much. Cornbread is good stuff. Mm. Need to get on that. Actually. Yeah. Mate, you can make uh, cornbread in, in a pan, I think, mm. which is quite good. You and I should make some cornbread for mm. one of our rest day roasts. Mm. Thank you to the question asker. Yeah, great. Instilling ideas <laughs> in us. But corn, for example, compared to wheat, uh, wheat, you can have couscous, which is just the ground wheat. But if you were to have the equivalent of corn, you would have polenta, which is mm. just ground corn. I've had that before with chili. It's I've had polenta. Polenta's yeah. good. Yeah. Polenta's nice. But it's not very voluminous, though. No. It's actually, it's very carbohydrate rich, low in fat and protein, which mm-hmm. is good when I'm on higher carbs. But yeah, for some people, it might be a bit um, low volume. Either way, if you can digest both and you're good and dandy, I'd recommend have some cornmeal, have some wheat. Mm. But I could probably confidently say I'm not even willing to take the risk (laughs) of making one of my protein cakes, which I usually put wholemeal flour in and replacing that with some cornmeal. I just, I really do not think that thing would rise, man. Mm. Yeah. I'm interested in what context on what context he was asking or she was asking the question because not many, what are you going to use wheat for? Like, Mm -hmm. uh, cause we use wheat a lot for making cakes and and cream of wheat, but Mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe pancakes or maybe they bake bread. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But, uh, corn cakes. Corn cakes. Yeah. <laughs> but I uh, hope that makes answer makes sense. Mm-hmm. And now you guys know also that corn has a high leucine content. It does. But it, unfortunately, it's not a complete protein. So yeah. you need to pair it with something else to get that HBV source. Hell yeah. Hey guys, just a reminder that we post regular informative content on both our Instagram and YouTube channel. So make sure to go over to those platforms and search The Bodybuilding Dietitians. See you there. So what's the next question for today? So this next one says, if I don't hit my macros at one meal slash day, should I compensate at the next meal slash day? Hmm. Very interesting. Well... It depends. (laughs) It highly depends on whether you didn't just hit it at one meal and you still have more meals to go that day, or if you didn't hit them at all during the day, because I would have a different answer for both. So we can just leave it at, it depends. Yeah, it depends for everything, but (laughs) let's let's go into a little bit more depth there. What does it depend on? So it it depends on like what your overarching goals are. Like I would say it even depends on whether you're trying to lose weight or maintain or gain weight. How fixated are you on those goals? So for example, if someone is, let's take me for example. So if I'm, if I miss food during the whole day, then I'm like, even if I, let's say I have to go to the rush tier to the hospital, unfortunately, and I'm out the whole day, I don't have time to eat anything. And you refuse to eat something from the vending machine. (laughs) Yeah. Which is actually pretty unlikely. Um, 
that's how high my goals are, I guess. <laughs> but uh, let's say I get home at 8 p.m. and I've got 4,000 calories to eat. I'm going to try pretty damn hard to hit 4,000 calories. Uh, but for someone else who's not as, um, as their goals just don't mean as much. And I don't mean that in a mean way. It's just they're not as much of a priority. They might just have their usual dinner and then go to bed. Uh, so it's just completely dependent on what you want to achieve. And I would say, personally, I wouldn't make it up the next day. I yeah. just, that becomes a slippery slope of having more the next day and then feeling very stuffed that day and potentially it carrying over to the, to the day after that where you're very full and then you might not hit your macros or calories the following day because you're so full from overeating the last day. Mm -hmm. I think if it tracks over into the next day, just let it go, man. Mm. You know, like it is, you're really splitting hairs at that point. And also I think you're interpreting this as if it was the extent of someone hasn't eaten for a day, what should they do the next day? I think for most people, they'd be like, oh, I didn't eat 20 grams of carbs yesterday. Should I eat an extra 20 (laughs) grams today? I'm like, no, no man like you got to think about the accuracy of that as well uh-huh that's so. probably within your air range yeah for some people mm-hmm. yeah especially if it's a different food source like if they're in, trying to incorporate something new for 20 grams of carbs it's that's going to be quite different compared to if it's something they consume every day like white rice or mm-hmm. something yeah but i'd say if, if you miss a meal earlier in the day like let's say that you're really busy at work and you skipped lunch then yeah, I would eat more food in the afternoon and at dinner time, especially with a hierarchy there in terms of nutrient intake. Like I'd make sure that you're still hitting your fiber intake for the entire day so that you have normal bowel movements the following day. Also your protein intake. Mm. We know that total daily protein intake does matter more than actual protein timing throughout the day. So I'd, I'd say like plant intake and fiber and protein would be the top two. And of course, total calories Mm. and carbohydrates as well. Because if you usually have a bunch of your carbohydrates at lunchtime and usually your dinner is a little bit more scarce because maybe you front load more of your carbs, but you skipped your lunch and you train first thing in the morning, you still need to store that extra glycogen. So yeah, just, just catch up. But if you miss dinner and then you fall asleep, I just get right back on track the next day. You don't wake up at midnight and Head to the kitchen. No, man, I'm asleep. (laughs) I'm asleep or I'm waking up to pee, then I'm going back to sleep. (laughs) Yeah, I've got a scenario for you as well. What happens if you're losing weight, Mm -hmm. but you overeat one day? Do you undereat the next day? It depends on to the extent. Mm. Because and I, I think it's more even more so it's dependent on the goal as well. Yeah, but there's there's definitely a lot of caveats to that too because sometimes when people have a day where it, it happens to everyone, it's happened to you and I before. It happens to everyone. You know, mm. you have a day of indulging, you eat a lot of food, and then the next day it might not even necessarily be on purpose, but physiologically you're still full of food. Mm. You know, you can have a lot of food in the afternoon or at night. You can wake up the next morning still burping up that food. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And physiologically, your body's sending you signals like, don't eat. Like <laughs> there's still stuff in here. We're still trying to process this. So it's not like you're restricting yourself or starving yourself. You're just like, I am genuinely not hungry and mm. I got calories in me. But... <clears throat> Again, if, if someone was genuinely hungry the next day, I'd say from a psychological point of view, don't purposely restrict. Yep. I would just get I'm right back on track. Otherwise, you fall and into that awful loop. Yeah, and I've, I've done a few YouTube videos on this now, but 
it is because we've both been there before as well like it can just become a slippery slope mm. of if you restrict the next day you then just get hungry again and even though you wake up saying like oh i'm never going to do that again in my life all it takes is for your body to be oh hey there's this thing called hunger mm. and and then soon enough you're back into that uh indulgence slash binging mm-hmm. episode and whereas if you eat normally the next day sure it might make sense from a mathematical standpoint to compensate mm-hmm. but unfortunately our, our mind doesn't always work like that yeah i think there really needs to be that balance between not being like oh yesterday i overate my macros and again everyone has a different interpretation of what overeating is someone Mm. might eat an extra rice cracker and they feel incredibly guilty about it someone eats two tubs of ice cream and that's their definition of overeating so we all we all interpret it differently uh but I'd say the next day, one, just listen to your hunger signals. Like, I'll be honest, after we had that massive rest day roast on our Monday, when we first came back, it was our very first, well, it was my very first untracked meal after our entire comp prep. The next morning, I still woke up and I was so full of potatoes. I was (laughs) so full of turkey, man. I'm like, that stuff is still in my stomach right now, 12 hours later. I don't need to eat breakfast at 7 a.m. I'm going to pass. (laughs) Otherwise, I'll probably feel sick. So that day, I actually didn't eat until lunchtime. And that wasn't because I was restricting myself or because I felt bad. I was like, again, there's there's food in here. Mm. I'm good for now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I I completely agree with that. I... I think I had breakfast, but yeah, mm-hmm. I didn't have as many potatoes as you. No, that you evening. didn't. Oh, I really loaded up on those potatoes. <laughs> cool. Well, I guess to quickly summarize that, I would we both would recommend uh, acknowledging total calorie intake for within the day. So mm-hmm. if you if you don't have enough at one meal, yes, then uh, have more the next meal to try and compensate. But we don't really recommend. From experience and from seeing it with clients, we don't recommend trying to shove it into the next day because we recommend just getting back on track with with what the usual plan is. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, the next day, again, these things can sometimes compound. Like it it catches up with Mm. you. You might not feel super hungry immediately, but then the next day you might feel a little bit hungrier. Yeah. And then you can think, You know oh. what that reminds me of is when the um, the uh, prepaid SIM plans used to roll over data. Yeah. And then you get to the, and you're like, oh, I'm going to save up all this data for, for 12 months straight. And you have like 100 gigs by the end of the year. Um, <laughs> and you're like, what do I do with this? <laughs> yeah. It doesn't work like that with macro hoarding. <laughs> no. But yeah, I think the next day, if, if you're like, oh, yesterday I did eat 1,000 calories less and I'm feeling it today, eat a little bit more food. You mm. don't necessarily have to eat 1,000 calories more, but heck, if you want an extra 50 grams of oats or something, then yeah, have that. But if you don't feel like you need it, then don't. Yeah. Like again, these things and are it, really split in hairs. Yeah. And it depends how in tune you are with your, with your I don't want to say body, but more in terms of just uh, variables mm-hmm. like for me i i adjust my calorie intake based on how active i am that day mm-hmm. and what session i do whereas some people who might not be as in tune with that side of things will just have a very consistent amount throughout the week or they might not need to vary it which is an even more ideal situation mm-hmm. i think for peace of mind just getting right back on track right back into your normal routine and just trying to keep your hydration up keep your fiber up keep your protein up and things should be sweet. Like, don't sweat the small stuff. Awesome. 
Well, I think that pretty much wraps up this episode. Great. Well, we are back into the Q&As, man. <laughs> and we even got to mention a few lol fails. <laughs> but what we always end each podcast on is one thing that we learned this week. So, Jack, what do you learn this week? So, I think I'm going to help a lot of people here. Mm. This might actually be more useful than some of the uh, topics we discussed oh. in the episode. <laughs> well, help me out. So we live in a, a renovated old Queenslander mm-hmm. and basically these crappy blinds came with the house. The ones that I don't should don't think should exist in the world anymore, but for some reason they do. And they're the ones where you have like this big wooden stick, which adjusts the how much light is let in. And then you have like these three cords that you have to pull. Like I've always pretended it was like a puppet and you have to kind of pull in all three at once to get the blind to lower down and but then tiara comes in and she's like oh you just do it like this and she pulls it at an angle and then the blind just falls down piece of cake and i'm just there like usually spending half an hour in the evening to get this blind down i'm just laying in bed jackie coming to bed Oh, man. I want to make a joke and say, did you grow up being blind? Like, how did you never see anyone shut one of those? Well, I I probably did, but I didn't realize. I thought they were just like pulling at an angle to get it closed. But but I didn't realize that that was the design. Like, you actually have to pull it. I don't know if some if if we can figure out the name for one of these, we could get people to look them up so they yeah. know. They're basically just well, ours is wooden. You can yeah. probably get them in plastic too, but they just have the different shutters. And yeah, you twist that thing to open the shutters, <laughs> let light in, and then yeah. you have the three cords. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, but, that's hey. what I learned, and it saved me a lot of time in the evening. So thank yeah. you. And light is no longer coming through into the kitchen. <laughs> no. Awesome. I'm looking at one right now in our study. (laughs) Damn you. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, what did you learn this week? Okay, so this week I actually learned something about citrulline malate. So citrulline malate, it's a type of supplement that you're often going to find in your pre-workouts and pretty much it just helps with the pump. And something interesting about citrulline malate is that the longer it actually sits in a supplement jar, uh, the more sour the supplement starts to taste, which I found was really interesting. Mm. Cause I was listening to this podcast this morning on Revive Stronger with this guy and he was talking about evidence-based supplements, which are worth it, which are not, like which are actually gonna have a significant ergogenic effect. And citrulline malate is one of those ones that's up there that could potentially have some ergogenic effect as long as you're nailing every single other variable in your lifestyle and with your training and nutrition. But one thing is that you have to have very high doses of citrulline malate, like eight to nine grams per serving before your workout. Wow. And we know that a, a lot of pre-workout scoops aren't even eight to nine mm. grams in total weight. So yeah. usually they skimp out on that. So that's the thing. A lot of pre-workouts, one, they're proprietary blends. So they've got a whole bunch of stuff in them blended up. And also they're just majorly underdosed. Mm. Yeah, so you're supposed yeah, to have... that's why I always just say caffeine. Like, it's just flavored caffeine, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Unless you genuinely buy a decent pre-workout. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why we just really go for the caffeine. But mm. um, citrulline malate, one, they probably don't add a lot of it to pre-workouts because one, they would just, they, they underdose it. But also if they did add the actual amount, it would taste like super duper sour. Yeah. 
be like sour gum. I mean, it could you, they could market as like sour worms, mm. but that's might what be a Steve bit... was saying. He was like, whenever I see ones that actually have a decent amount of citrulline malate, they are marketed as like sour apple. Mm. And I'm wondering because we add hot water, that negates the sourness as well. Mm. I wonder if that actually damages the citrus. I don't think it would, but I don't think it would damage it, would, it. Yeah, no, but it's interesting how it negates the flavor aspect. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's what I learned about citrulline malate. Awesome. Well, we'll wrap this up. So thanks, guys, for listening. If you enjoyed our first Q&A back, make sure to reshare it onto your socials. Keep an eye out for question boxes. I usually put out a question box each week for my own stories, but feel free to ask questions there, and we'll use those for the podcast as well. And uh, if you enjoyed the episode, reshare it. Tag me, tag Tierra, tag TBD. And we shall catch you again for Road to 2023 in a few days. Bye, guys.